Welcome to Home Gym History, brought to you by Garage Gym Radio, the only podcast network where you can find several different home gym related podcasts. My name is Rob, and if you like strength history, then head on over to Vintage Weights PGH on Instagram and YouTube to find even more. But I do appreciate you being here on Home Gym History, and if it's your first time listening to Home Gym History podcast, what we do here is connect things that happen throughout time, space, and history with what's happening right now. And that's what I'm going to do with today's guest, Sean. Welcome, Sean. Hi, Rob. So we have a little bit of a delay because Sean is my first international guest. So he is in the UK and he runs Raw Form Fit, Functional Fit, I should say. So could you tell us a little bit about Raw Form, Sean? Raw Form is basically just me making stuff that Mm -hmm. I use for my training and then posting it to my Instagram and whatever kind of gains traction and people like, I then create into products and then sell on my website. That's basically the, the kind of it in a nutshell. That makes sense. And how I came to get to know you a little bit was thanks to Alex at Feats of Alex on Instagram, who sent me the Brotherhood of the Traveling Paw package of grip tools. And there was a really interesting grip tool that had a historical connection with resonated with with me called the Excalibur. And it looked like the the hilt of a sword. And I said, who made this? And Alex said, oh, it's this great guy. Check him out. Raw form, functional fit. So I did. I started following you. And soon enough, I see you, you know, walking through a small town with a large sword and I see you swinging maces and doing all kinds of fun stuff. You have this like bench apparatus with a ball that rolls back and forth. So how did this go from a day job to that you probably did these things in your free time, like you said, to now this is what you do? Where was the switch? Well, I I should have added there as well that I bring other people's ideas to life as well so that's my it's kind of like what i do as an artist i'm a steel sculptor as well and i make practical art so everything anything that has a use but has a decorative kind of feature about it and i started making exercise equipment for myself in my own training and then other people as well and the excalibur was actually the first product that i made and it was in lockdown because this all kind of i'd been making stuff maces um, and other things for a few years and then lockdown happened and all the gyms closed so i came up with a corona mace like i saw everybody being ripped off for for second-hand equipment and it drove me crazy. I was even I was even email uh, messaging people on Facebook saying, you know, you, you I can't believe you're a criminal. How can you charge people 120 pounds for plastic dumbbells? Anyway, I, I had to <laughs> go off Facebook, and uh, I decided to make a range of Corona maces and sell them for half price. And they kind of flew out the uh, they flew out, and then Dan Strauss got hold of me, and he said to me, Oh, I love what you do. Um, I've been watching you for a while. Could you make me a, a sword hill that I can use to lift? And it's kind of like based on the Excalibur, the sword and the stone lift. Um, so he kind of expected me to make something quite basic. And But being an artist and that kind of story also resonating with me. But you know what you said earlier with the, the story of King Arthur and, sure. um, you know, that whole history of things really kind of, I, I grew up watching stuff about him and you know so the idea of making that was really fun for me so i did something you i did something unique and like what i was saying i put it out on my instagram or dan put it out on his instagram and people loved it so i got to do a few and as i made them i refined the design so the first few the first few batches i wasn't kind of I wasn't too happy with the way it was, um, and I refined the design every time I made a batch, and until the one that you got, that that kind of batch I've stuck with a bit because I really like the way that that looks and feels. I just found it unique because I won't get too in the weeds with the grip strength items because the theme of today's episode is the history of clubs and maces, but I found it unique, the Excalibur, because some of the vertical hilts that I have are just cylinders, whereas the Excalibur being the hilt of a sword has more of a slight oval shape. And then you do a very artistic sort of lacing design through it that depending on your hand placement plays a role a bit with the way that you grip it. I mean, you're gripping it so hard with a couple hundred pounds that 
you really feel those little lines and things in your hand in a good way. So yeah. I just found it very unique and I wish shipping was better <laughs> in terms of Tell price to come over here to the United States, but I will, it's on my want list. I will definitely be getting an Excalibur of my own or at the very least uh, trying to get Alex to loan me his again. But speaking of maces and clubs, so the start was the Corona Club that in terms of selling things. And yeah. that's a really interesting moment in strength history when there was a shutdown with gyms. And I saw the same thing in Pittsburgh. Instead of trucks of produce pulling up to Pittsburgh to sell some produce, there were trucks of weights and people just selling the most cheap, generic, horrible quality weights for prices that I couldn't believe. Oh, man. So then it was from there, what do you know about the history of clubs, maces? Because they kind of interweave in my research. But, you know, what comes to mind when you think of the history of clubs and maces? Well, I'm a bit weird when it comes to things like this, where history is um, important and involved in the explanation of the things because of my ADHD and my memory issues. You know, I have like very blocky memory of what I've read and, and researched and also obviously being around steel mace people for a long time the stories that I've uh, heard from other mace practitioners because I've learned from like Rick who uh, learned from the original steel mace the, uh, the original guy who came up with the actual steel mace here at, like in America in, a few years ago but for me well, personally the main your Instagram profile yeah it says modern caveman i love that yeah and you so go that's on what my that's what my Instagram thing is. profile for sean everybody that's listening you know like i so kind of look at my caveman. practice i resonate with a lot of things ancient and it's not necessarily from or for a specific reason i don't know why but just with my metalwork and blacksmithing and you know the exercise when i was doing you know normal exercise didn't fit with me just normal lifting weights didn't keep me consistent i got yeah. bored of it so i started swinging a mace and doing calisthenics and the mace i, I connected that with my norwegian uh, bloodline my grandmother was like my personal hero and her she used to tell me stories of her grandfather who was a norwegian navy man and i was sat depressed one day crying my eyes out because i'd split from my family and i had all sorts of mental issues and i thought my life was ruined and i was watching vikings and i suddenly was I saw these guys, these Vikings, and I suddenly thought, well, I'm practically one-eighth Norwegian. I'm practically ex-Viking. You know, like I'm practically a Viking. Well, my, my ancestors would be turning in their graves if they knew I was sitting here being a, you know, a crybaby. Um, I've got to get up and fight. And I connected it with my mace training because I had already started mace training. Suddenly it became a very primal mm -hmm. kind of thing for me it, i connected it with my metalwork and you know the ancient kind of practices of making weapons and you know like while i was swinging a mace i pictured myself training for war you know hundreds of years ago and that's how yeah. it played out but it's not because that of specific sense. history and you know uh, uh, no that makes sense and what i think i'll do is kind of chunk things out here throughout history and kind of connect to some of the things you've done. But where I pulled some things from cavemen and Neolithic times, so the New Stone Age, so we're talking like Neolithic people, hunters, gatherers, people living barely in primitive societies, no permanent settlements yet, no farming yet. This is just hunting and gathering was from this great book that came out recently. It's by Ben Miller, and it's called Methods of Using the Club for Self-Defense and Exercise. And specifically, it's in 19th century Germany that he focuses, but there's plenty of chapters leading up to that to include Neolithic times, where he mentions that a club, just a, a piece of wood with a knotty end to it, because that's where you would break it off the tree or break it out of the ground, yep. it would have this knotty kind of a rounded end to it. That was just a savage fighting and hunting tool that was readily available to Neolithic men. And it, it was just a very, you know, living off the land, your surroundings type of tool so that's where i saw a modern caveman and thought oh that is so great sean that you have modern caveman because that's what you're making you're making this tool that could be used for warfare and has been used for warfare for thousands of years but is also used for fitness so that's where we get up to ancient times with hercules so hercules famously in lots of depictions, he has a club. Yeah. And that's where Europe comes in because Hercules is ancient Greece. And his signature weapon was, like I mentioned, this large, knotted, two-handed club. Very similar to anything in... Uh 
lots of other ancient representations. So in Middle Ages, we have metalworking. So after the ancient times, and that's where, oh my gosh, I just shared a reel that you made. And your metalworking is more than just connecting metal. It's artistic. It's like there's a shield that you made that does Raspberry Ape have it? Yeah. It's this shield that has, it looks like Medusa's head on it. It it's is Medusa's skull. skull. It's yeah, fabulous. Yeah, it's Medus- <clears throat> yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so that's what so I, I'm listeners, a, I'm you've got to check out. I'm a metal artist. I spent the last 12 years uh, making sculptures, practical arts installations. So when I started making my own equipment, I thought to myself, like, I really, do, I can't, I get so bored so easily. And the idea of straight lines, it's, it's where I stopped being an engineer and I became an artist because I can't, I have a terrible memory and I, I hate too much conformity. So I have to, I have to constantly be questioning things. If something, if somebody says, this is the way it's got to be done and this is the way it's only got to be done. I normally go, well, I'm going to do something different because I don't want to listen to you. <laughs> as soon as somebody tells me I have to do something hey. and it's the best way to do it, I switch off, you know, <laughs> like, so I love to, um, I love to learn from people, but I like the people that I like to learn from. I like to be, I like to know that they have an open mind and are willing to look at things like the way science should be and the way any kind of, you know, when we stop wanting to learn because we think we've just got the ultimate thing that's when i kind of i i think it's more that's a capitalist kind of trait we latch onto this idea that something's going to make us a load of money you know forget about anything that we say and do we just we just got to say anything or do anything to make that sell you know because we've seen that it can make a bit of money or we have this need to sell stuff and uh, i've just got a need to answer questions that's got to be that's got to be an interesting balance for you between the art of things and supporting yourself, your family, you know, earning a living, uh, keeping the lights on. So I know Raspberry Ape has been a longtime customer. So has Alex, who I mentioned before, Feats of Strength. And when it comes to, you know, your artistry in the Middle Ages, I see a big connection because sure, there were very simplistic. I mean, it was expensive to have a sword. So there are very simple swords. But on the other hand, if you think about it, there's very artistic, you know, that that various uh, designs and various coat of arms for the houses on the shields, the swords might have a hilt that has the family's emblem on it. So there's a lot of that represented in the Middle Ages. Now, when it comes to the Renaissance, same thing. I mean, they dug up statues from ancient Rome. They saw Hercules. Hercules became popular throughout the Renaissance as well. So, I mean, a, a modern connection that listeners might see is Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, there's a heavy Middle Ages Renaissance influence. Clearly, it's yeah. fantasy, but in terms of like judicial combat, trial by combat, that's all from Middle Ages. And that all involves a club a lot of times, a shield a lot of times, things that you make. And just today, about five hours ago, you were swinging around an enormous sword. So it looks like, you know, half Thor could have carried this thing in Game of Thrones. Can you tell me about yep. this sword that you were swinging around a couple hours ago? That's a funny one because I had a bit of a gap, a year gap where uh, business wasn't going too well. And I started contracting for other companies. I'm a sheet metal worker by trade. So I was doing some sheet metal work at a company and I cut some scrap pieces, cut them and folded them into what I was going to make into a sword. And I put the pieces together and put them, uh, I then finished work there and business started picking up. So I put them to one side, never used them again. About three or four years passed. And last year I just decided, or yeah, I think it was the end of last year. I was having a bit of a, uh, when I get stressed out, I like to go into a bit of a a self-inflicted chaos mode where i get into my creative mode and that kind of flushes out the uh, negativity that I might be you know the stress that I might be going through and it just helps me to kind of work through it and see it from a different perspective and also get that the much needed dopamine and and serotonin I get from the creativity because that's where my my real skill and the thing that I really really enjoy more and more than anything else is being creative so it's being in that mode of coming up with something that isn't there or developing an idea if I've already made something and I'm happy with it to go and make it again is almost impossible for me or it's really really hard I have to there has to be a great reason behind it so with my previous job it was keeping children safe and pets safe so that was the driving force behind it and even that was hard whereas now it's the big 
puzzle of making fitness equipment and sending it all around the world and building a giant sculpture with people's physiques. It's like a metaphorical sculpture. It's all <laughs> over the world. It's giant. And I'm kind of, it's, I, you know, I might not even see the gains, but I know like energy wise, these products are going out and they're creating something that, you know, is making a real difference. And that's what I want to do. So that's why I love this and how I can make maces because essentially the first time somebody asked me to make a mace, I actually got upset with them because it was a ball on a stick and I was making these intricate designs and I just said, are you serious? It's a ball on a stick. What, what are you, what, what are you talking about? What's the challenge? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then I tried one myself and I made one and I tried swinging it around and I realized how hard it was. Like I was like, what on earth is this sorcery? Um, and I saw, saw some, a couple yeah. of guys like Rick Brown and Leo Savage. I saw them swinging the maces and I was just like, this is too good. And I started working on the designs and started, you know, how did they feel when I swing them? Does the head need to be heavier? Does the handle need to be heavier? And I slowly refined the mace. With everything I do, I like to off. It's, it's almost like, it's not a sacrifice. It's a, we're in, in the Viking times, if they wanted to please the gods, they would do something. They would offer something. I can't think of the word now, but it's my kind of offering like a, to the like to the gods again. And I like to to use my skills. Yeah. <laughs> to create something unique and I started making unique maces and and like the handle my handle detail is unique there's nobody else that does that and it was just like making the mace that fits a particular type of person which was me <laughs> well that's a great uh segue into the gods of gains and into just this global perspective of yours and you know, speaking of global perspective and gods, and with all due respect to faith and various people's faith, we're going to rewind a little bit to ancient times here and go across from Europe to Asia, because in ancient India, when Hinduism developed in ancient India, there were several Hindu deities and gods that carried maces and carried clubs, if you will. They were called gadas, I believe it's pronounced G-A-D-A. Yep. And they, the best way to, that I would describe them is um, like a, a, a long stick with like a larger piece on the end, the goddess. And I mean, one of them in particular that I read about, one of the gods, I should say, one of the deities that I read about was a monkey like deity who was so strong he could lift a mountain with one hand and his main weapon was this, this gada, this this mace-like, club-like implement. And then, you know, this, this swinging of it becomes popular amongst people in ancient times. And so much so that warriors, to practice, they're, they're doing the rhythmic swinging up because it's developing their strength, it's developing their technique. So the same way I see you swinging, you know, your maces or swinging your large sword that I just mentioned, it's that rhythmic kind of exercise. And that leads into, you know, this, this popular movement of Indian clubs, if you will, later on. On in history and Indian clubs are slightly different they're lightweight and then eventually Persian so we're moving from India to Persia ancient Persian meals the heavier ones and I, I think you have some Persian meals or something similar don't you no I've made my own steel versions but I don't actually no? have it's something I've wanted okay yeah no I don't actually have a pair I've swung some well, I've swung I, them that's what at I'm different people to. which the club that I made the steel versions of what look like a a Persian meal. They're they're um, yeah. trying to describe it here the best I can. Kind well, it's of a, a big um, chunky, a big chunky cylinder. body with a small handle. Yes. Um, yes. You know that that they quite hard to to uh, replicate. But I found I I had an old nitrogen bottle which I took. I just kind of what I've passed this bottle for three years. I got it with a welding machine that I bought years ago and I passed this thing so many times over the last three years because I had taken it out when I moved and I'd put it in uh, in a in one of my storage containers and I passed it every day for three years and I never saw anything and one day I just looked at it and I thought that would make an awesome meal yeah. and um, yeah it's been something I, I was meant to to swap with a guy in Turkey who was making them and uh, we were supposed to swap pieces and then he went off the radar and i actually uh, um i actually want to get you know see if i can do that again uh, find somebody that that makes them and and do a trade one of the handy things about making things uh, I, I try and barter as much as i can yeah i mean with vintage weights with older weights i trade them often barbells weights you name it because i love finding the older ones that aren't made anymore and i'll hook up with other collectors and trade things that i'm looking for for things they're looking for so i i 
understand that. But the Persian meals, I, I, I'm noticing a pattern with you, Sean, that, and I mean this as a compliment because you were mentioning earlier at the top of the show how your brain functions in a, a certain way because you said you have ADHD. But I've noticed that whether you intend to or not, you tend to be attracted to things that have a large historical connection and that then your brain tends to think, how can I make this out of metal? <laughs> and I like that. I, I think that's really interesting to take a wooden meal and try to make it out of steel. I think that's uh, an interesting uh, take on things. When I do metal work or metal sculpture, my uniqueness, my kind of, I don't like the word talent, but my talent is making the metal move. So feel like actually breathing energy or essence into it, the movement that I'm trying to create. And that's a bit of a rare thing that I've seen with, with, metal artists is um people are very kind of almost 2d flat there's no kind of energy in the movement and um i love to to do things where, where i'm like oh i would love to create i've done it with the indian clubs i've got a whole set of them and i've just started making them out of recycled canisters that i find on the side of the road they kid the kids are using this laughing gas and they just throw the <laughs> canisters on the road and i oh i my found gosh. I found one and I thought, oh, that's really thick steel. I can use that. So I've started, I take the, I take the connection out so the gas all runs out most of it's finished and then I put them in the fire and take away the paint and then and then make them into clubs adjustable clubs and they're really nice really really well as Indian clubs I mean they're a bit heavier so this is one of this is my particular one and you see it's Excellent. got the thin handle with a I, with I a post pommel. Yeah. and that this bit here has been made out of a gas bottle you see I've still got the uh, um <laughs> And that this screws out, so I've, I've welded this. This actually says "Do not refill." Still got the, it's still got the writing, <laughs> which I think is pretty cool. Do not refill. Well, hey, uh, disassembling like that would make it easier for shipping. Yes, so exactly. That's good well, from that's a business the whole side. point. <laughs> so it, it's also really good because you can have that as a yeah. one and a half kilogram club. But if you fill it with steel shot, it'll get to about seven, okay. between seven and eight kilograms. So, you know, for, for exactly it. for that, for people who want a bit more versatility in their equipment, you know, this will cost a little bit more because it's handmade. But you have you have the ability to you have that adjustability with it. I have never I've never tried Indian clubs, but after reading Ben Miller's book, Methods of Using the Club, I've gotten very interested in maces and clubs. I've been following you for a while, so that that really appeals to me because I think okay, I'm a beginner. I'll start with it empty. I'll, I'll kind of get some of the movements, some of the things that are in Ben Miller's book, and some of the things I see on your feed. And then once I get better at it, I just like anything with weight training or fitness, I can add some shot to it and yeah. get a little heavier get going a little heavier with it so indian clubs they came around and around the 1800s the british they're getting into india they're of course colonizing throughout history india and the british bring indian clubs swinging back to europe and they were primarily used in britain as training tools for soldiers and police but then they start spreading and spreading and spreading and populating popularity throughout gymnasiums and gymnastic type of uh, work in terms of early fitness, think of it that way, and all the way over to the Americas. And that's where in the United States, club swinging becomes popular for quite a while in the turn of the century. Club swinging was actually even contested, I found this interesting, in the Olympics in 1904 and 1932. So, uh, you know, it was an oh, Olympic event twice before uh, some of the others. Yeah, that's brilliant. So, uh, you know, club swinging sometimes it's seen as the fringe sometimes I think amongst some people with home gyms like on the outside of the parameters of barbells and dumbbells but it was that accepted worldwide that it was an Olympic event at one time yeah I mean so I, had you I, ever it, done any of this well I mean I I'd never like, I, I started doing in, I started doing Indian clubs probably about three years ago and it came one of my favorite May swingers is also a, an Indian club guy uh, Frankenlegs um, Zach from Canada um, um, he is a uh, he's a magician with the mace and with Indian clubs. And I did a workshop. He came over to the UK a few years ago, and I did a workshop with him and learned some of the patterns, the Indian club patterns. And and also he's also really big into the the history of things. So speaking to him, he knows the history of clubs. He knows he's got all the books and uh, so much literature about the history um, of these. He's also a 
he's just gone into pro wrestling and he does the whole he's got his meals and he does the pro wrestling thing oh wow the great the great gamma is a a massive influence to him the and his gamma. work uh -huh. yeah yeah um so you know the great gamma was well as you know like, we'll probably know he, the he great was gamma, a, a really famous wrestler he yeah he was undefeated i believe and he was a very famous swinger of the gata the the larger yeah he had that same kind uh, of hanuman the Hanuman Gata you were talking about earlier, the, it's got a yes. big head yes. with a kind of not so, it's yep. not long, not short handle. Um, that decorative kind of mace, God, well, it's a Gata. Yeah, we'll make sure to drop a picture uh, of the Great Gama and some of these other things we've been talking about and in the uh, post-editing. Because, yeah, he's incredible. I read a little bit about him. And then Franklin, uh, Franken Legs, to get his name correct on Instagram, he has... Uh, such a collection i mean sometimes when he posts things no disrespect to the movement he's making but i'm staring behind him at like oh my gosh look at all these things he's got lined up in his gymnasium it's unbelievable yeah proper he he's a proper collector he's got some really old clubs that he's um, brought back to life and yeah he's um he's got a really nice collection i'm really i made him a, a pair of paw clubs the wolf paw club that sits in his um in his collection okay. cabinets and it's uh, really nice for me to be able to be a part of that, a part of his history and actual history, you know. Um, and you were talking about in Europe when uh, maces and uh, the metalwork swords and the, the detail of the weaponry. And that was, I wanted to say this, like, I'm big on detail. Like I really, that's my thing. And that is a bit of a problem with me trying to make money because I like the detail. And for me, <laughs> that's one of the biggest things about the world yeah. we live in at the moment is that things are cheap and generally as cheap as and plain as you can get them because everything costs money and people aren't willing to put themselves out to make something beautiful not many people are willing to put themselves out to make something beautiful because they won't get the money for it whereas i would like to at least try to make things and i might not be a chinese calligraphy artist that spends hours and hours on but i like to put more time than i get back in money or monetary value into my work because it's that energy is my it's more than just money it's the energy that i'm sending out into the world and um that's more important to me and and i i hope one day that if there's enough energy in the world that somehow it's going to come back to me and i'll be able to make a little bit of money to survive <laughs> but yeah. for now i am well, putting a, you know uh, it's, it's there's a uh, connection you mentioned frankenlegs getting into wrestling and then the great gamma and we've mentioned the combat aspect of things you have something fairly recently that reminds me of a spring arm wrestling implement but you are using it more for MMA purposes, it looks like, or for martial arts purposes. And Raspberry Ape was using it where you kind of grab the back of the, the opponent's head. But as a testament to what you're saying about artistry, on this large spring, you have this like beautiful skull that you've crafted. Uh, you know, did you just put two together? Where did that come from with the spring and the skull? Well, I made the skull as a... He has a name. Yes, it's Teddy. Teddy. <laughs> so Teddy's got gnashes is, um, I don't know where it comes from, but I made my first skulls didn't have any teeth. I used chain, uh, bicycle chain to make the teeth. And when I created this, wow. I, it was the first one I made using actual teeth. And so I called him Teddy's got gnashes and I made him as a, as a grip tool. <laughs> so it's just got a thread, a bit of threaded bar there. And I, I actually made him as a grip tool, but also wanted mm. to be able to connect a mace handle because I have a, a set okay. I make, um, well, they called the transformer set. So it's basically threaded bits of equipment maces clubs and they all interchange so my idea over time is that, that as people buy you know somebody buys several pieces of kit they're not just getting individual pieces they're actually able to use and make various different things with it and that's kind of like the broad the broad picture of where i'd like to go in the future with this with raw form um but teddy is like a he's a a, a kind of like a blob trainer you know the thick the big skull Oh, uh, nice. For training, kind of the blob uh, fingertips, you can you can do pinch grips with the eye sockets and various different places underneath the jaw. <laughs> There's pinch pinch grip places, and I wanted to basically make six or seven different grip positions, as well as the ability to to put it on my transformer mace set. So I can turn it into a ceremonial mace, where I like I, the one you in the the <laughs> reel you shared, where I can build a whole lot of different things with the fire. So it looks like a crazy 
big ceremonial mace or I can just use it on a club and I had it the other day just had I had it on a on a small handle and I was swinging the sword at the club here you know because with a bit of a shorter handle it's easier to control so the, the left and my left hand is a bit weaker than my right hand so I have the, the lighter skull in my left hand and the sword in my right and I was able to do dual swinging extraordinary I love the versatility because to a home gym owner that means a lot I mean, I have limited space and I have, I'm blessed to have a nice little bit of backyard and an exterior door here that uh, my home gym leads out to the backyard. But in terms of storage, I wouldn't want to leave, you know, this mace sitting outside. So it needs to be stored in my gym and I have limited space. So having versatility, being able to use something for more than one purpose, I think means a lot to many home gym owners. And club swinging has a history in the home gym. And I learned that from this book because when you got to Germany, one of the earliest in 1855 kind of writings on fitness and things of that nature, in 1858, I should say, it was published, this doctor of medicine and surgery published this handbook on dietetics, which uh, had a club swinging section for parlor gymnastics. In other words, fitness that you could do in your parlor, in your home. Oh, so yeah. it was essentially one of the first home gym references was club swinging. Like what could you do right there in your home to exercise? You could keep these little clubs and you could swing them. So I think it's really cool. And I love um, with your Indian clubs from the little laughing gas bottles. I think it's interesting too that it goes from something that was uh, arguably unhealthy to something that is used for fitness. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, that's about 12 years ago I did my business plan when I started this whole business. And at that stage, I got it into my head that engineers make things to make people's lives simpler. My grandfather taught me an engineer is is really quite lazy. He likes to make things easier so that life is easier. <laughs> and that's the kind of, that was my view on where I wanted to make products that made people's lives easier. And then when I started making fitness equipment and I started, I, that, that, that part of my business plan, it basically disappeared. I hadn't had the opportunity to make any products. And then I started, it got to 10 years, 2000, uh, 2020 when lockdown happened and I started making these, these pieces and basically making products again. I realized that I was making things that were making th people's lives harder, but was making them actually healthier. And, and <laughs> in this modern age, convenience is killing us. So, you know, things, it's actually much more, it's actually much more beneficial, you know, because I, my whole thing is giving back to, you know, giving back to humanity, trying to make a difference in my small way. And by making people lazier, that would have actually been worse. So I, now my whole thing is, you know, making people's lives harder so that Literally. they get stronger. Well, I mean, I used to work out in the evening. I used to train in the evening, which was nice. It was a good way to kind of uh, let go of the stress of the day, but on I switched to the mornings so that I could have more time with my family in the evening. So I'd get now I get up earlier in the morning before they wake up and I train. And I really like it for that reason that it's the hardest thing I do all day is already behind me. I've, I've already trained in the morning. The rest of the day is easy. So I, I can understand that, that it's it's a kind of full circle relationship that you're putting yourself through something rigorous, through something difficult that then makes the rest of your life easier, the rest of your life healthier. So, you know, you're a facilitator of that. You're a, you know, a helper and a supporter of that in people's lives. So when it comes to raw form functional fit, what's of the products that you have? I, I took a peek at your website and you have several maces. You have lots of different things, the iron shins. You've got lots of different products. What would be the most often you know asked about or purchased product is there one that stands out from the rest or is it pretty equal across the board the iron shin is definitely my best seller without a doubt but people love my maces as well my signature series maces i'd say that's probably my second best um seller it's a very as far as custom maces go it's a very simple mace it's just a ball on a hole but the way I finish it, the detail and the polishing and I engrave it, it's got, like so depending on how tall you are, how short you are, how big your hands are, if you want a thicker tube or a thinner tube, now I build that mace exactly how it will fit so that when you're swinging it, you you know that that is built like wearing a, a custom suit. You know, when you wear a custom suit, you can feel that that suit has been okay. tailored to you. And if you're just starting to swing a mace, it's great. You know, you swing a cheap mace, but when you 
when you get better at certain things it's like any kind of any exercise equipment if you buy it, it just feels better when it's better quality right like the difference between owning a, a cheap bit of equipment and something with that's actually been well made yeah exactly i think you would be fast friends with belt fed strength i don't know if you follow them on instagram belt fed strength chris and randy they are essentially everything you've said tonight with metalworking imagine that with leather and that's what right. chris and randy are they do such amazing work because they don't just handcraft the leather. I mean, it's hard to even show, and I don't want to do a full review of belt fed strength. I've invited them to come on the show, so hopefully they'll come on and we'll do a history of lifting weight belts. But it's tailored to you, like you're saying. I didn't just pick up like a size large belt. They took my measurements. They made this belt so that it perfectly is for me and then the artistry of it they put globe dumbbells on it pgh which stands for pittsburgh the city that i'm in and it's part of vintage weights pgh my handle oh uh, that's what they've that got means. my logo on it even little details like they've got my wife and my children's initials on the handle there's tiny little details oh, wow. like that i mean just the artistry is amazing and then these aren't just painted they're like carved in so the time it takes to carve this into the leather before painting is incredible and then they and stitch how special it I mean, this starts for as you. one big hide. Oh, it's, so how, I mean, this is like a going to be something the rest of my life. Yeah, right. You could even so, pass yeah, it on to your children. My children will be fighting over this one day. Yeah. And that's when I've actually had people 100%. say to me, they yeah. bought maces as, you know, and said that this is going to be an heirloom one day. This is going to be passed on to my children. You know, uh, that to me, that means more than, you know, just making something for a few quick bucks so that, so, you know, somebody will get bored of it and put it in the corner and it'll go rusty and disappear, you know, get thrown out. I, I want a bit more of a special connection exactly. with the pieces. Uh, when I first started making maces, I, you know, like the old samurai movies and where, where they're sharpening their tools, a samurai or a, a ninja would never go into war with weapons that weren't fully sharpened and cleaned. And, you know, like they had a bond with their swords. And that's where I kind of imagine people yes. out there, they polish, you know, my, my steel maces. If, if something's painted, and it starts to chip away, it's a bit more difficult to kick than re -burp. But if it's steel and it just needs a bit of sandpaper or a bit of something, a bit of rust remover, like you do a lot of it with your, I love watching what I actually really enjoy this podcast and uh, the way you go into history of different tools and things that uh, I would never have even imagined seeing. And it's really cool that I get to be part of this. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned samurais because there's a bit of a connection there historically that feudalism in Europe, very much feudalism existed in ancient Japan. The samurai was essentially the knight. The samurai, there was the same relationship with uh, the knight and the lord in terms of uh, a land and terms for loyalty of service. A samurai would pledge to their lord, their service and whatnot. But the care with which a knight or a samurai would give to their implements and give to uh, just the... I don't even know the word to put the reverence, I, I guess I would say the reverence they would have for and respect they would have for their sword, I think is something that I feel for weights. And I feel for the things in my home gym, because I, I care about them, and I want to take care of them. And I think they have a story to them. So I, I say it often that weights have a story. And for me, sometimes when I buy used weights that I want these older weights, I get the opportunity to speak with the buyer who originally purchased them back in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, whenever it might have been, or maybe it's their son or daughter. These were my fathers. These were my grandfathers, my grandmothers. And I love that. That's worth its yeah, weight in so gold cool. because I love being able to pick up this weight. Like, for example, these uh, weeder deep dish. A friend of mine in Canada found them. And then he also spoke with the buyer before sending them to me and told me the whole story that like the, the father had repainted them for his son. And I love that on the, it's hard to see from this angle, but I posted to my Instagram. I love that on the lettering for weeder on the deep dish, you can see like the brush strokes. So just that image of like a father wow. painting them for his son, you know, it's just a, I, I like that. I like the story of the weights that the father bought these originally, then he painted them for his son and then his son sold them. And now they're in my gym. There's a story with your implements. I, I, I know that, you know, whoever has purchased your implements, there's a story like Alex sending the Excalibur all around the country. That was so cool. I'm so grateful for that because so many people like the trust just to be able to send it all over America 
the amount of people that got to handle that that particular one was unreal and it really did make a, a massive difference in in my kind of being a part of the group sport community i'm not very crazy about any one particular thing like i'd say my border my my whole kind of i'm part of the unconventional strength community like uh, i don't i swing maces and clubs i like a bit of everything i would say i was a jack of all trades and a master of uh, maybe a couple <laughs> and um I, maybe not even a master but yeah it's that's what uh, i like about grip and strongman the variety yeah exactly so that i like being the, able uh, to have that um and be part of that community is super cool because the grip communities are really cool they're really friendly kind of i don't know what the word is supportive group of people i agree and i think it's you know i have a lot of respect for power lifters but for me personally three lifts just isn't enough. I, I like variety. I like to do a lot of different things. And to give listeners a little background, I've mentioned Alex a couple times. I should mention Nick Sanders. He goes by Skillet Hands. I actually have his T-shirt on right now. This is his T-shirt with his uh, skillets cool being swung by an ape. So Skillet Hands and Feats of Alex, they started this thing that Alex kind of facilitated. And Nick was nice enough to lend some of his grip implements. It was called the Brotherhood of the Traveling Paw. I believe it's since come to a close and I had intended to make a video about it, but then, you know, life gets busy. I got sidetracked here, there, everywhere. So I guess I'll give it a little explanation now that since we've talked about it, it in simplest terms, like you just said, Sean, it took a lot of trust that Alex and Nick spent a lot of their own money on I believe it was five different grip tools from all over the world. There was the Excalibur from you. There was an implement from Greece, from Greece, uh, Greek arm lifting. And there was uh, several different implements. And then these implements would cost a fortune and be really tough for any single person to amass. But they were kind enough to let people into the Brotherhood of the Traveling Paw. And they sent them around to ladies and gentlemen all over the United States. And you had a week with them to kind of visit with them and try them. And then all you had to do was post your lifts online and then enter a spreadsheet. And then uh, after that, you had to promise to send them on to the next person. And then it all worked out. They visited, I'll have to ask and I'll figure out how many people total, but they visited several people. I mean, I think I was in the twenties by the time they got to me and then I sent them on to the next person. So it was a yeah. really fun project and it was a great way to try different implements. And I could see how that benefited your business because any number of people tried Excalibur. Yeah, exactly. It was uh, just, and it's something I'm working on now, uh, taking my business to the kind of the next stage is working on things that um, are a little bit more affordable and not everything being um, about being the artistic kind of, because that's the stuff that I really like, but um, I would like to make more for people who are getting into things as well. So I'm going to uh, make a bunch of grip, just vertical grip bars. Um, so again, reusing scrap, there's a guy that comes and cuts railings in our yard and he just, they, um, bits of 40 mil or just under two inch, um, tube, and I'm going to turn them into vertical grip bars and sell them for like 15 pounds, something really cheap or send them out with orders, you know, with, with orders that yeah. people place, um, and just kind of do things like that, mm -hmm. that where I make something that can be used. And group group stuff is a, a really good way of doing that because there's so many little intricate little things, you know, just a disc that you can weld onto a ring. And it's a, it's a pinch grip, you know, like people sell these kind of things. And just as a little bit of fun or giving, it, giving yeah, something away with a product. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's what I love about the grip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, I, I've been into physical fitness and weightlifting for the majority of my life. But I think about the different times in life that people are going through. And there was a time in my life where I lived in a one room apartment and my home gym was three pairs of dumbbells that I got on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist, wherever at the time, sitting in the corner. And I would joke around when friends came over like, oh, now you're in the home gym because they happened to like stumble over them. But 
you know, fast forward. Now I, I'm in a different place in life. I have a house, a family. I have a home gym in my basement. That's more than I could ever dreamed of. So where I'm going with this is I think it's wonderful that you're thinking about that because the person that might only be able to afford that implement at this stage in their life down the road might be your best customer at a different stage in their life. And that's a really, uh, that's a really know, building good. that relationship, I think is a great thing. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, like having a something that's really, I mean, this is something that Dan Rosbury Ape and I spoke about because obviously I've made him some really nice stuff, but he really likes simple, you know, he likes the really intricate stuff and he's got an amazing collection of probably one of the best collections. I, I think you should really do a podcast with him and uh, his collection of ancient replicas that he's collected over time he's got a replica um he's actually built it to scale with the i can't remember the exact details but the guys that he made he got they, they, they built it to scale with the information that's already out there on hercules's club and wow. you know he's got the athena shield he's got he's got so many like this this vast collection of awesome uh pieces of equipment that would have been used throughout history yeah i i just love um i love hearing about that kind of stuff i lost track of what i was saying well <laughs> it's okay let me tell you a thought that i had because uh you know i respect your time and we'll be closing out here soon but i there's a wonderful um gentleman that makes inch thomas inch style dumbbells nathan hole or nathan holly i'm not sure how to pronounce his last name so i apologize nathan um but, you know, they are really heavy. You're talking about, you know, 100 to 172, even heavier pounds. So to ship them to the United States is extremely expensive. So what various uh, people in the grip community often do or have done several times is get together and band together. Okay, we're all here. We'll each purchase a dumbbell from Nathan and have them all shipped over. So I was thinking just today, this morning, okay, there's several different things I'd love to purchase from you, Sean. What if I got, you know, several people who were interested and then we all purchased as long as they were patient because these are handcrafted, you know, pieces of art. And as long as they then trusted me to ship out to them. So basically we'd all purchase from you and then I could send them easily throughout the United States once they got to me. Kind of like a, a small scale, uh, you know, distribution. It's just several people purchasing at once. I had thought about approaching you about that. So has anyone ever done that before to get several of your things over to the United States? No, no, I'd love to. I mean, I'd do anything. I'd be happy to do anything that would help people uh, get cheaper shipping. Because the majority of my custom is from America and I I can't tell you how grateful I am for them because if it wasn't for Americans, I wouldn't be where I am right now because Americans love quality um, and they love a custom piece, whereas the people in the UK are a bit more fickle with with nice stuff. And there's still people <laughs> out there, but Americans are definitely way more into nicer things and aren't afraid of spending money on custom pieces and... and uh, you know, I've, I, I can't actually believe, like I just sent a, I made a skull mace several years, not a skull mace, a skull shield several years ago, uh, probably three, I think it was three years ago. And I made it as, as a kind of a mic drop moment. It was in 2019, just before the 2020 lockdown. And I kind of got so fed up with the industry, the cheap people in the industry, just they were winding me up. They wanted nice things, but didn't want to pay for it. And so I made this really nice shield that I knew would be really, you know, worth a lot of money as far as in terms of making things and the time and effort gone into it. Um, and I knew nobody would want to buy it, but I'd make it and have everybody going crazy or people going crazy for it and then go, well, you know, like this is the type of thing that I want to be doing. This is the type of thing that I can be doing. But I'm not doing it for free. I can't. You know, I need to feed my family. Um, and this guy approached me and he said, oh, I really want to buy that from you. And I gave him a price and he said, oh, I, I, this is what I want to pay right now, or what I can afford. And I said, look, the amount of hours that I've put into this, I just cannot do that. And he came back three years later 
and he he messaged me early on in the year and he said hey man I've, i've been saving up and i'm ready to buy the shield and i almost fell off my chair i couldn't believe it because i it it become my shield you know it was <laughs> i'd basically gotten to that point where i'd adopted yeah. it and it, it was a piece of art in my home and i got to train with it and i love that shield but i also needed to pay rent and he came and he at a really uh, a really important time where you know i had a quiet winter and that was something that I, I just can't sure. believe that somebody actually paid for me to send that over to America. So yeah, it, it it's um, well, super cool. Like I said about the uh, making more affordable implements, you never know, like down the road, the person for 15 pounds that buys a, a vertical hilt, I think you mentioned, uh, yep. maybe they save their money. And I mean, I've been following you for probably a year and a half and intending on buying uh, some of your pieces. So, you know, maybe that <laughs> almost knocked over my mic. Maybe that person comes back a little later. But I, I really, I think the uh, the story behind your company, I think the, the just the passion and the, the effort, the, the energy, as you said, that you give to what you're doing whether you're you're making iron shins or a mace or a shield or whatever it is you're doing, you know you have the vision that this is going somewhere to someone's home and they're using it. I think that's something any home gym owner will love and respect. I certainly do. So thank you so much, Sean, for coming on Home Gym History. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Rob, for inviting me. This isn't something I do very often, and um. You know, I really, really appreciate the opportunity and especially you and and having followed you for a while now and been speaking to you for a while. I love what you're doing and yeah, super happy I got this opportunity to do this with you. It took us a while. I mean, even just me normally, but yeah. I get I get a bit I'm difficult to tie down and I kind of don't really care because of the way I am. I can I'm not really podcast material. I can be a little, you know, I can say things, uh, well, I can just get caught up in my own chatter and forget about what I'm actually doing. So I, I tend to not throw myself into this kind of situation because I, uh, yeah, well, I don't I feel like I come uh, across well, but maybe I did. This felt really good. So I really enjoyed it. This really, I mean, and we had the challenge of a, of a bit of a lag in between on this episode and I think you did very well. I think you're selling yourself short in terms of uh, being able to come on podcasts and things. So I really appreciate you taking a chance on me and listeners. I will drop a link in the description for both the website for raw form functional fit, as well as his Instagram handle. And please go there and follow Sean and what he's up to because you're not going to miss some of the things that he is inventing and some of the things that he's crafting and designing and engineering because they are one of a kind and really just a lot of fun. So <laughs> go check them out. And of course, here on Garage Gym Radio, you can like, follow, comment, do all those kind of things that help out the algorithm and help us out on Home Gym History. So drop a comment and let me know, what did you think of some of the swords, the maces, the clubs, the different things that you learned about on this episode? Do you have anything from Sean? Do you want any of the raw form functional fit items? What are you dreaming about? What are you going to get shipped over here to the United States or anywhere else that you're listening from? And of course, head over to Vintage Weights PGH so you don't miss any strength history or physical culture content. Thanks a lot. This is Rob at Home Gym History. <laughs>